and welcome to the Whole Self Podcast. I'm your host, Leah Hughes, a holistic mentor, human design guide, and well-being advocate obsessed with all things health, wellness, self-healing, spiritual growth, and mindful living. I believe true well-being is only possible when we start to look at our whole selves, how we feed our bodies, how we move, how we think, feel, how we connect and realign with our inner selves. My intention with this podcast is to create space to explore all of that with you. Expect soulful, expansive conversations to inspire you on your journey back to your whole self. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Whole Self Podcast. Thank you for being here as always. And I feel like I say this at the beginning of every single episode, but I genuinely have a really great episode for you today especially if you are currently going through something like cancer or another illness or just anything that feels life-limiting or is incurable. This is a really great episode of Hope. It is a really amazing, hopeful story with a fantastic ending, so stick with it. This week I have my friend Sarah joining me on the podcast, who is a reflexologist, a Reiki healer, herbalist in training. She's also a manifesting generator, which I found out on this call, which makes sense as to why she is also a gatherer of holistic skills. We really talk in this episode about how Sarah's journey with cancer led her to where she is now and led her to really finding her purpose but also just the journey that she has been on from being told she had stage four cancer to being where she is now, which is just an incredible story. Like I say, it is just a real story of hope. So as I always forget to wrap up podcasts with guests properly, because I just get so sucked up in the conversation that I forget that I need to ask them where they can be found and how you can get in touch with them or how you can follow them or you know all the things so as usual this episode ends just in thin air so I'm going to do it now so Sarah as I said before is a reflexologist and she can be found on Instagram at akeso underscore therapies so that is at a-K-E-S-O underscore therapies and that is where you can find Sarah and all the wonderful stuff that she does so go and check her out go and give her a follow um, and most importantly just enjoy this episode I hope it brings you some light and some hope um, yeah please share like subscribe, review, do all the things Um, and as usual I would love to hear off you if this episode served you in any way at all please feel free to drop me a DM and let me know. I will see you on the other side. Thank you so much for being here. Hey Sarah, thank you for joining me. Hi. How are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. All good. Yeah. Nice to see you in person. Well, not yeah, in person. I know. I know. It's been it's been a while. It has yeah, actually it been a while. I think the last time we saw each other was when we um caught yeah. up here, right? Um, it's, it's been COVID, so I haven't really seen yeah. anyone. <laughs> so, I know. So yeah, I feel it's like it's gone really fast. Yeah. 
it's weird because it feels like COVID's been going on forever but then at the same time I feel like it wasn't that long ago that we met up do you know what I mean no yeah god I don't know I don't know what happens I don't yeah I mean it's yeah it's just I think it's just been a bit of a black hole the last 12 months hasn't it I don't really know what's happened um okay amazing right I would love you to introduce yourself to everyone Uh, where do I start Mm. um okay I am a reflexologist and holistic practitioner I guess you could say I do all kinds of different things, including Reiki and breath work and studying herbal medicine. So it's just another one of the things that I'm <laughs> adding in my toolbox, mm-hmm. healing tool. Um, yeah, I that's that's in a nutshell what I do. But um, yeah, living in London at the moment, but moving to Brighton um, soon. I should have just asked you this before we started recording, but I'd love to know... Um, <laughs> What sparked the move to Brighton? Uh, I mean, just wanting to get out of the city, get out of I'm, Brighton is technically still really busy, but um, just be by the sea, be kind of closer to, to nature. Cost, <laughs> I mean, yeah. can't afford to buy a house in London, if we're honest. Um, and just, yeah, Brighton's great. Just wanted to I be I feel like there. so many people have kind of made the move out of London during lockdown. Yeah, no, so many people have moved to Brighton, and um, mm. which is great, but also not great when you're trying to buy a house down there and everyone else yeah. wants to buy it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I feel like there's this, um, this mass exodus from London since lockdown because it's almost yeah. like I think people being locked up in their houses has made them realise how much more like fresh air and space they want. Being able to work from home and potentially knowing that that can continue yeah. means that you're not you're not tied to London anymore mm-hmm. and if you're not tied here well especially I've, I've lived here for I don't know 15 years so mm-hmm. kind of not I'm not over it it's you know I love London but um I'm happy to move on and live somewhere with a bit more space yeah so, yeah be nice in the summer as well it's perfect time to move yeah <laughs> amazing okay so I know like you've we, we were saying before this before we mm. pressed record like there is so much to this conversation because your journey to where you are now is loaded shall we say (laughs) um so it's difficult to know where to start and I know that obviously you don't share your journey a lot so I'm super privileged that you've chosen this space (laughs) to finally share your journey um so take us back to yeah where you were yeah so you know yeah years ago uh well so just I suppose it was I'll probably take you back further than Mm -hmm. than yeah my starting point um so yeah just to say that it was in September 2017 that I was diagnosed with bowel cancer but obviously like a lot of people that started a lot earlier than that date um so if kind of go back two years I was um just you know 30 years old living like a normal 30 year old in London like going out all the time um I was in actually a pretty toxic relationship that I shouldn't have been in shouldn't have Mm. stayed in um working full-time in fashion but equally had just started my own business with a colleague um which was a sustainable fashion brand so I was working full-time working evenings weekends going out all the time drinking 
you know all the normal stuff mm. um was in yeah quite a horrible relationship that kind of caused a lot of anxiety and for me I felt the anxiety really manifested in my gut I know a lot of people have the same similar thing I had lots of IBS symptoms um and just didn't think anything of, anything of it because everyone else did. Like you speak to lots of women around that age and everyone has problems with their diet and their gut and, you know, all yeah. of those things. So I didn't worry too much at that point. And I'd also been on antibiotics for two years for recurrent um, bladder issues. So that was my issue at that time. That yeah. was what I was focusing on. And, and even then wasn't really worried about it. Um, so yeah, every, you know, GP doctor that I saw would just give me these antibiotics, you know, go away carry on and uh, no one at any point ever said maybe you should take some probiotics or look at your gut health or you know no one really yeah. ever stopped and looked at me as a person it was just you know you go to the GP you get some pills you go away you carry on your life is busy but yeah fast forward two years I was out of that relationship I was living in a, an amazing house share with some friends you know life was much better I'd met someone new it was Life was good, but it was still really busy. I was still working full time and the business on the side and also had started to get, my symptoms were getting much, much worse. So I started to have a lot of blood when I went to the toilet. Um, so I was now going to the doctors more for that than for anything else. Mm-hmm. But which is, you know, a common, <laughs> you hear it all the time for people quite as particularly young people that they get dismissed. And mm-hmm. I was constantly told you're too young, like it's nothing to worry about. You don't, you know, don't worry about it. And that is actually what you want to believe. You want to believe that that person who is trained in, in medicine knows what they're talking about. So you can carry on with your life. Um, yeah. So that's what I did, carried on. But I, I mean, it got so much worse to the point that I couldn't really, I couldn't eat very much. I was so bloated and the blood was just, I mean, it was, ridiculous so I kind of went back and demanded that I had a colonoscopy which Mm. they did but I wasn't put on the cancer pathway so it was like a four-month wait oh my god (laughs) yeah two months into that wait I was like well I can't actually wait any longer so they they sped it up um and I was seen within two weeks um and that's yeah that's kind of where it all started from there um yeah so I was yeah like I said I was 32 I I went in for the colonoscopy and they actually couldn't complete the colonoscopy because the camera wouldn't get past a massive tumor in my colon no way (laughs) yeah um I obviously laugh about it now it's not funny um (laughs) (laughs) uh so actually it was quite a bad experience because I so I was one consultant was doing this colonoscopy he was quite young and you could see on his face that he knew what was happening he couldn't do it properly so he called in another young consultant so then you've got these two young doctors yeah. that, <laughs> obviously you can see on the screen as well so you're you're just like this is not good neither of them could bring themselves to tell me so they both said oh it's probably just colitis or Crohn's which you know both bad enough anyway they said oh it's probably just that we'll send you off for some MRIs um no one came to speak to me after the procedure they just gave me this like kind of sheet like a printout right so when I got home I obviously looked at this piece of paper and on it was a cross and it said tumor 
great. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. Um, and then I obviously looked up who my next appointment was going to be with, who that, that they'd arranged an appointment at the Homerton, and it was with the lead colorectal cancer surgeon. So it, I, I knew anyway what it was before I was told. So I was in a way prepared, but yeah, it wasn't the best way to find out. That's, that's insane. <laughs> I never knew that. Like that yeah. is, that's yeah. a crazy way to find that out. Like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. But I think I already knew, like you have, you know, you have gut feelings yeah. that you, you push aside and you don't want to believe. But I think I already knew, like I went into the room to get the results on my own. Um, I just, you know, he told me like he was breaking news to me and I, I knew already. I was like, yeah. it's just, it was almost a relief to hear it, that, that that's what it was. Yeah. Um, and at that stage, they thought it was stage three because the scans had shown that it was in my lymph nodes, mm-hmm. but we didn't know any more. Um, and they decided to do pretty much emergency surgery two days later because I couldn't really eat very well. So two days after I was diagnosed, I went in and I had uh, life-saving surgery, I guess mm. I would call it now. Um, so yeah, they removed um, 50 centimeters of my bowel, um, my sigmoid part of my bowel. Um, they reconnected it, which was amazing. I didn't have to have a stoma which Uh a lot of people have to have when they have um, that sort of surgery. Um, They also removed loads of lymph nodes, 28 lymph nodes in the end that they removed. Um, Yeah, and at that point, you know, the surgery went well. So we just thought that the follow-up would be what they would call mop-up chemo, you know, six months and then on your merry way, you're fine. That's Mm. what I thought would happen, but obviously that wasn't the case. So, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah, so what normally happens is you you recover from surgery. So four weeks later, you go back for a restaging CT scan, which I did, and then kind of expect to go in to be told about the plan, which when you're stage three generally means, like I said, chemo. Yeah. Um, but I went in on that day, went in the room, and there were three people looking at me in that room. And yeah, it's a giveaway just, sign, oh, that is. It's, it's a giveaway, giveaway sign. Yeah. <laughs> when, there's a, when, there's a, um, when there's a clinical care nurse in the room, oh, yeah. they are walking yeah, yeah, yeah. down the corridor with their pamphlets. You're like, <laughs> yeah. okay, I know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, and the faces as well. I was yeah. like, oh, God. Um, <laughs> yeah, so he, my surgeon, who, you know, amazing surgeon, bad bedside manner like mm. honestly the worst way of delivering any news ever so just went from saying he actually said there's no point in doing fertility preservation before chemo because you haven't got time um you unfortunately have incurable cancer it's inoperable now because it's still in lymph nodes but it's in what they described as distant lymph, lymph nodes um which were in my right. groin and pelvis and they were inoperable because of where they were and even if you did operate on them you know lymph nodes are in a chain mm-hmm. he even drew a picture and he was like so if you remove these ones it'll probably spread to these ones and right. so basically your option is chemo for life and chemo will give you more time <laughs> it's just wow I, I literally walked out of there just in a daze so that was, when you, were you that on was, your own that for that was, appointment? No, my boyfriend Max right. was with me. So, um, I mean, he was he was probably more shell shocked than me. Mm. But um, yeah, I walked out of there, and I just I just remember thinking, 
well firstly it didn't feel like my life I mean often when you look back on any of this it doesn't feel like your life does it but didn't feel like my life and I just said no I was I just don't I just refused to believe that and that was where I went from that point I just it wasn't denial or you know I wasn't living in some kind of yeah denial it was just I just don't believe that that's truth for me so mm. yeah that was where it all started I guess wow that's that's crazy so how long after it was four weeks it was your four yeah. week scan that you've then yeah. found out so you'd been through yeah. all the surgery not knowing that it was stage four yeah no which actually in hindsight I honestly believe is one of the things that is mm. the reason why I am where I am now yeah. because if you're diagnosed stage four they don't give you the surgery yeah. you get radiotherapy and chemo and then potentially down the line you get the surgery so actually because I was stage three technically at that point I got this surgery which removed you know the bulk of my cancer yeah. and actually changed the path that I was on totally. so yeah yeah that's really interesting because I think that is um I often say there's this it's really weird when you're diagnosed with anything below stage four, like when you're first diagnosed with cancer and everything feels yeah. like it's a hundred miles an hour. It's yeah. like, we'll get you into yeah. surgery. We'll start chemo. Yeah. We'll do all of this stuff. And then yeah. as soon as they find out it's stage four, it's like tumbleweed. Slows down. Everything yeah. slows down yeah. and you're like, Oh, hang on. What, what am I not supposed yeah. to be doing surgery tomorrow? I'm not supposed to be starting chemo yeah. next week. And they're like, no, no, you just go home yeah. and chill out now. And it's the like, it's, changes, so, it? it's so strange the way that works. Yeah. So yeah, I get that, that actually yeah. having that is actually really helpful. Yeah, it was, it was. I mean, everything is easier looking back, isn't it? But mm. I think some of the decisions that were made, they were made for me rather than yeah. with me. Like, you know, the fertility preservation saying you've got no time. Mm-hmm. Well, I just believe that and I thought okay fine but in reality two weeks it takes two weeks I had two weeks I mean yeah that was that was a male surgeon making that decision for me yeah and I always say to people now like just take some time it's not yeah. you're not gonna die overnight like yeah. I really felt like that I really yeah. felt like <clears throat> if I didn't get on with chemo within two weeks I mean I was just gonna die yeah. <laughs> I was like you don't you, you have time yeah. so yeah I, yeah I, mean, I, I, I yeah I agree with that. I think that's, I think that's the best thing that any, anyone in that position can have is that time is like, it's someone being able to say, this is your diagnosis now go and digest this and see how you feel about it and see what you want to do before you then come back and we start this. Um, yeah, because you've yeah. never you've never thought about having cancer at such a young age. No. You know? All of these things are all new, and and yeah, you just go with what people who are professionals tell you. Yeah, um, I mean, you learn along the way how much mm-hmm. to trust, <laughs> how much not to. But um, at the time, at the beginning, you just you just want to do what's right. Um, so yeah. Do you think that is because um, I often think about this, like why we why we have that feeling of like we need to just kind of like trust what these people are saying and we need Mm. to just go go ahead and like this urgency to do these things Mm. like comes from that miss that um what's the word that lack of understanding that we have about cancer generally as a society like you're just before before cancer's in your life like really I mean like really you having cancer not just it affecting someone around you you don't ever think it's going to happen to you. You, mm. 
kind of live in this like well almost like the NHS or medicine will just catch me so if I get ill it will catch me and I don't really need to truly look after myself I don't need to prevent illness I just Mm -hmm. need to I can just basically carry on with what I'm doing and everything will be fine yeah and then the moment you're diagnosed you realize how (laughs) how much more I mean I I just I mean I believe in prevention obviously prevention is better than a cure um and yeah it's sad how how much you you just believe that medicine will be there yeah yeah (laughs) so after you after you went home and left the hospital and (laughs) um you'd just been told that this was incurable when you say that you know you just felt like no this isn't my story what did that look like for you how did that journey start um I mean I'm not gonna lie it was really like a really dark time and Mm. everyone says don't google it but you google everything you're up all night googling looking for hope stories looking for anything that you can find and I remember actually I had like I found these two people that had been told something similar and I had their like their stories open in my phone for like a year like so I could keep going back and just being like no I mean other people have survived this but I um I mean, I always knew I, I was going to go for chemo. It was never a question of that. Um, so that was always the plan. But I also knew that I needed to find hope for myself because I wasn't given that. And I, that meant I had to go out and find it. Um, and actually, um, one of the first people that I met, my friend introduced me to Jane at Hello Love, which is mm-hmm. where I met you. Yeah. And um, she was Love Jane. probably one of the and love Jane everyone loves Jane <laughs> one of the first people to give me hope because mm-hmm. you know, that's what she does um so she's surrounded by amazing stories of of healing and people that have um you know been in remission when they told that been told that, that would never happen and so I just sat yeah. down in in her her space called hello love in Holborn and just spoke to her and it was like the first time since I've been told you're incurable that I thought actually there's so much more that I can do um yeah. there's so much more control that I can have over this um mm-hmm. so that's that's probably where I started with it. yeah was that really in the two weeks before you started chemo then um yeah it was obviously a really weird time I don't I don't remember a lot about it because mm-hmm. your mind is just so all over the place yeah. um until you start getting good results or you start having treatment you're like you know you're you're doing something your mind is just well my mind was just all over the place so um yeah I think for me getting a treatment plan for my oncologist she was you know really blunt she said we need to treat this aggressively because your cancer is aggressive Um, we need to stop it from spreading she never mentioned we're going to get rid of it she just said we need to stop it from spreading Mm -hmm. um and so having that treatment plan gave me something to focus on. You know, I, I weird to say I was looking forward to chemo, but I weirdly kind of was. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also just starting at that point to explore the holistic treatments. I mean, there are so many. Mm-hmm. I'm sure like we've all tried the same ones, but um, you just yes. you just start with one and then and then see what sticks. Um, so yeah, I went on a bit of a journey mm. with that. What tell me some of the things that you that you tried? God, what didn't the, I try? I know. I'm like, we have only got an hour for this podcast. Yeah, but yeah. you know. <laughs> okay. Well, actually, two days after I got the the horrible diagnosis, I um had already booked in to see this nutritionist. So I went to see her, started with that, 
So started with, you know, diet, looking at gut health, looking at blood sugar levels, supplementing, um, then moved on to things like energy healing, infrared saunas, hyperbaric oxygen chambers. Um, what else is there? You know, yoga, meditation, mindset, mm-hmm. affirmations, a reflexology, which I'll come on to later, because mm-hmm. that obviously was a big part of, of it all. Um, there's a lot, and I think it can be quite overwhelming, actually. And there was a point where I had to stop and be like, I can't, af- a, I can't afford to do all these things. And it, I don't have enough time in my day to do all these things. And the pressure to be on top of everything is, mm. is too much. So I think you just have to try everything and see what works for you, mm-hmm. which, yeah, which is what I did yeah oh yeah I should mention CBD and um, THC which I made the mistake of mentioning to my oncologist and <laughs> realized that I would never do that again yeah those things <laughs> those things don't always go down so well <laughs> no apparently not mm. it's interesting as well just to go back to um what you were saying about how you were living before um before you were diagnosed was that a point of reflection for you when you were diagnosed? Like, how have I been treating myself? Yeah, massively. Yeah. Everything stops. You know, that's the first time in your adult life, I guess, when you get um, a diagnosis of any kind of kind that's serious, that you stop. Mm-hmm. You never stop otherwise. Like, nothing caused me to stop. I was just busy all the time. Yeah. That horrible, busy mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I stopped and I realized how unhappy I was working in fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, I did have to go back to work when I was diagnosed because I couldn't afford to live in London and I didn't want to go home. You know, yeah. I, I, my house, my life was in London. Mm-hmm. So I had to go back to work, but I was so miserable and I hated it. And I, I didn't believe in it. I didn't, be- I mean, I didn't believe in fast fashion anyway, which was why I'd started up my own business, but I just couldn't do it anymore. And I, I really think that once you lose the love for something, I mean, it, it just, yeah. So I did it for about a year uh, and then I quit and that was the best thing that I did. Mm. So um, you were working, you were still working in that job all through chemo. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I mean, I, part-time, I, I probably went back probably 50% of the time. Um, yeah, which was difficult, but it did give me something to take my mind off mm-hmm. of cancer yeah um it gave me something to focus on um but yeah I'd already you know I'd already kind of zoned out of it before so I um yeah it wasn't it wasn't great I, I needed to quit and I, I did as soon as I could um yeah yeah it's interesting how those um you know these and these are the stories that I'm always really interested in how those moments of um crisis Mm. make us really stop and reflect and almost give us that space and opportunity to choose a different direction yeah um it's like this it's like even though it's a really painful experience it gives Mm. us these it gives us this pause moment it's like forces us to stop like you say like you have to stop and you have to think like how have I been living what have I been doing um And like you said before about, you know, going through IBS and just carrying on because it was normal because that's what, because we all have it. Like we all go through, you know, like everybody's stressed, everybody's got gut problems. And and it's actually only when you go through something like you've been through where you stop and think that just really isn't normal. Like, why are we all doing that? 
it's completely not normal to be ill and ignore it. That is not normal. Um, and it's not okay, but mm. we do it and I did it. Um, so I'm sure others do it, but yeah. yeah, it's not normal. And I think until you are satisfied with the answer that you're getting from your mm -hmm. GP, you should not stop because it's your body. You know it better than anyone else. Um, it doesn't matter who's telling you that you're wrong. You yeah. just have to keep going until you are satisfied with the outcome. Um, yeah. And yeah, that's what I wish I'd done. Do you think that um, the times when you were going to the doctors about IBS and they were putting you mm. on antibiotics over and over mm. again, do you mm. think that was, is that in any way connected to? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I would never want anyone to think that they're to blame for their cancer. No. And, you know, I don't, you know, no one is responsible. It's partly genetics, but partly lifestyle at the same mm -hmm. time. And I can track back, like when I was diagnosed, I said to my surgeon, I said, how long do you think the cancer's been there? And he said, well, I would assume it's been growing for at least two years. Mm -hmm. And I track back those two years of that time of stress, anxiety, antibiotics, you know, going out too much, not looking after myself, ignoring symptoms. And I personally believe that that led to my diagnosis, mm -hmm. definitely. Mm. You know, other people would think differently and that, that you know, you can't, you can't um, blame yourself for it. And, it. and I'm not blaming myself. It's just that yeah. I really do think that those things, it was like the perfect storm, you know, yeah. a low immune system compromised, you know, gut microbiome and just all of this stuff going on at the same time. And then two years later, I get diagnosed with cancer. So yeah, I think that that, that will lead to that place. But. Yeah you'll never really know will you so no. yeah and like you say I don't think it's it's not it's not a blame game it's not no. suggesting that you necessarily could have done anything different in no. the situation that you were in yeah that was the life that you were living but yeah I think it it really kind of it it puts more importance on that idea of like pushing for the right answers because actually yes. like we need doctors or you know whoever we're yeah. turning to to be able to look at us and say actually what else is going on here and how like yeah. what could be impacting the other yeah oh it's the it's the holistic looking at the person as a whole mm -hmm. I mean I actually remember one of the GPs that I went to see a few times one on one occasion he never turned around to look at me from his computer screen yeah I could have been anyone yeah he, I walked in the door he didn't even look at me he looked at his computer screen it wasn't until I left the room that he turned around yeah and I just I mean, I, they don't have time to yeah. look at you as a whole or as, you know, mm. um, but that was really important because if he'd have connected the dots, maybe he'd have seen more reason to um, to push for more checks, more scans, whatever. But yeah, um, yeah he didn't. Yeah. And yeah. Interestingly, I think I posted about it on Instagram, but he was on TV last year talking yeah, about early diagnosis. And I was yeah. just like, oh, like my actual mm. GP that didn't diagnose me was on yeah. TV talking about it. That was the shock. So I guess that's kind of where you then started with a holistic lifestyle. Yeah. So for me, the, the, so I was on a joint, like a double chemo for six months, which was an infusion where I went into hospital. It took about six hours. And then I was on a chemo drug for two weeks. So it was like a, a double whammy chemo mm -hmm. for six months. And actually the IV chemo was platinum based and it caused me to have nerve damage. So I had, peripheral neuropathy in my fingers mm. well my hands and my feet in fact in my feet it went up to like my calves which causes kind of numbness and tingling and 
and it was just wasn't very nice, like really painful to walk. And so I needed to find something to help me with that. And I'd heard about reflexology, mm-hmm. hadn't had it before, went to try it and just found it was amazing. It was so much more than just the physical side. So it did over time actually make my hands and my feet are completely fine now. So, mm-hmm. you know, it did help my nerves, but actually mentally it was like amazing for my anxiety. Um, and I just wanted to know more about it. Um, and so I'm kind of one of those people that when I get like, I like something, I find something I want to learn about it. So then I want to study it. <laughs> so I did. Mm-hmm. So I was still, I was, yeah, I was having chemo, I was working, but then I decided to do a year's diploma to learn how to be a reflexologist. Amazing. Um, which yeah, was amazing. And then that's obviously why I left my career and retrained and, and started that because I just found it so amazing and I wanted more people to have access to it I had to pay for it um, I know some people do get it on the NHS but I just wanted to be able to offer it to other people and show other cancer patients how amazing it was um, yeah so that started me on that and then as well as reflexology I'd had a lot of Reiki um, and so again did Reiki level one Reiki level two and just from there I've just continued to learn and do more of mm-hmm. of these things mm. I think obviously we've missed we've missed a bit of a chunk there because I think what's important to um talk about is what happened after that six months of treatment for you oh yeah um well actually after three months of treatment I had a scan I scans every three months mm-hmm. and that first scan that I had showed no evidence of cancer so I had a NED scan yeah literally within three months which was amazing it was the best thing you could the best news you can get and um but obviously they don't let you walk away thinking you're all cured it you know I still got reminded that I was still had advanced cancer and you're still on treatment continuous treatment okay fine so then carried on yeah another three months another clear scan and then after the six months of the kind of full chemo, we dropped it down to maintenance chemo, which was just the tablet form. Mm-hmm. And I was on that for another 12 months. So I was on chemo for a total of 18 months when I made the decision along with my oncologist to stop treatment. Not the usual thing to do. I mean, they tend to want you to be on it forever, just in yeah. case. But I had had 18 months of clear scans. Yeah. And the treatment, the toxicity in my body was so high, I needed a break anyway. And I just said, what's the harm in taking a three month break? Scan me, see what happens. So that's where we started and we just Mm -hmm. carried on and we haven't stopped from that point. So when was the, so when did you stop treatment then? How long ago was that? Oh, that was April, 2019. So I just passed two years off treatment. So I'm actually now longer off treatment than I was on treatment. Yeah. Um, I'm now six monthly scans rather than three monthly scans just to mm-hmm. reduce the radiation. Um, yeah. And just kind of continuing on that path. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's actually, I mean, it's incredible really yeah. to go from, you know, so what you had six, so you were on, so you had surgery and then you were on chemo for six months. Yeah. And then, and then another 12 months. Yeah. Yeah. But, but since those, within those six months, you yeah. were already cancer free. Yeah. After being told. I had a really, yeah, I had a really great reaction to chemo. Um, yeah. 
And obviously everything else that I was doing at the yeah. time was supporting my body and helping mm-hmm. me deal with that chemo because it's so strong. Yeah. Um, so I believe it. it's definitely, I mean, for me, I believe in the integrated approach yeah. that both work hand in hand, you know, all the holistic therapies and everything else that you do supports you to, to do the treatment. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, you, if you're told you're on treatment for life, you want to be able to do it for as long as possible. So you need that support. Um, and that was, that was what, my kind of goal was was to just get better and heal um so then you've so then you've kind of started supporting other people well not other people going through cancer but just other people in general with those holistic therapies yeah and I think uh, I mean people talk about finding their purpose and I think yeah you know for me that is part of purpose isn't it is is learning what works for you and you know what what makes you feel good and then sharing it with others and I honestly mm-hmm. love it I mean in during COVID I've reflexologists had to kind of stop we weren't allowed yeah. to work and I really hated it I really hated not seeing people and not you know helping people I think mm-hmm. the instant reaction someone has after treatment is amazing mm-hmm. so it just yeah it's something that I'm just so so glad that I do I really mm-hmm. love it what you've just said then about going through um finding purpose through Mm. adversity really I think is so powerful um because you know people can train to be all of these things like you you know (laughs) anyone can train to be a reflexologist or be a Reiki master or whatever but actually having that personal experience of having gone through it and been Mm. and having been supported by it yourself I think just adds a little bit of something extra definitely I think you can tell like you know when you go to see I'm I see an acupuncturist I see reflexologist myself it's not like once I've learned it I stop I continue Mm -hmm. to use all of these things that I truly believe work and you can tell when someone has kind of lived experience and why they're doing what they're doing I just I don't think it it works if you're just I mean not doing it for the money so I don't I just think yeah the lived experience and and yeah yeah I think yeah I'm I'm such an advocate for that I think it just makes it so much more powerful um doing any any kind of like holistic treatments um or therapies um yeah having have, having that experience yourself I think just makes it so much better for people um so obviously <laughs> we're gonna get to this part of the story which is gonna be even more mind-blowing yeah exactly so um, yeah I'm building myself up because I feel like it's going to be like a Um, so obviously you've been off chemo for two years Mm -hmm. um the chemo that you had um to start before doing um fertility treatment before Mm -hmm. having you know eggs harvested or you know yeah yeah but then two years later, you find yourself in a position that you're in now. So tell us, tell us where you're at. After, after I finished chemo, I, um, I just wanted to check every, you know, part of my body. And I went to see a fertility spe- specialist actually, just to find out where I was at. Um, and so, it, you know, she kind of explained to me how much chemo had damaged my fertility, um, how, you know, there was no point essentially in doing fertility preservation at that point because 
I had so few follicles that it was it was just it would probably wouldn't work and it would aggravate my body more than anything so just like fine um you know I was still having periods it wasn't I hadn't stopped fully but I was having acupuncture I have been having acupuncture consistently but to help with potentially what we thought was menopausal symptoms um, and I was actually due to have blood tests to confirm or deny whether I was in the menopause or perimenopause or but um so I had an acupuncture session this is last year and I always have a healing reaction to it and the next day I came home and I felt really sick but the day after I still felt sick and I was like this is really weird and I think you just have some kind of intuition or gut feeling and I had probably like a 10 year old pregnancy test somewhere hidden away <laughs> and I found it <laughs> I did it emergency and, pregnancy test <laughs> yeah God knows why I still had it yeah but um there must have been a reason um and I did it and it was positive and still at that point I was like well this is old and broken mm-hmm. so it must be wrong mm-hmm. so I did one the next day and it was again positive and I I mean it was just yeah yeah so, shock um but but yeah complete shock because that is not something you think about when you're you know healing from something like cancer um you just don't allow yourself to think about that either because it's just you know you're on constant you're told not to as well right yeah 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 you're actively told not to especially when you're on treatment yeah you've already been told it's one it's one of the first things that you just go okay fine out my mind especially I think as a young woman yeah you have um, to when you're told that you are now infertile yeah you have to just shut it down and just be like okay fine I need to just this because there's no point completely in me, in me continuing to kind of think about it and wish for it mm. yeah so it was obviously a big shock but um I mean yeah normally you'd obviously get really excited but for me I, you know I mentioned to you earlier that I just had to speak to my oncologist I was like she is either going to go two ways well I actually thought she was just gonna shout at me and tell me it was really irresponsible mm. and that I was crazy um but she was amazing and she she said, look, you have been, I don't know what the word was, but uh, she's been very surprised by my whole journey, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, I can't tell you that your cancer won't come back. I can't tell you what the future holds, but um, I can tell you to live your life. And if this is something you want to do, then you should do it. And I was just like, okay, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks wow. a lot. And I am currently nine months pregnant. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Your next scan's due in August, but something else is due very soon. Yeah, God. Yeah, Yeah. it's it's crazy. Like that's it's crazy. Yeah, there's no real way of explaining it. I can't explain it. I I I really I tried to find other people in that position. You know, I really have tried to look to see if anyone else had had an incurable, technically incurable diagnosis. And then three and a half years later, mm-hmm. you know, pregnant, I, I haven't found anyone. Um, so it has been a bit of a, I mean, I've had to use a lot of my kind of tools just to kind of keep the anxiety away because it, it's not, yeah, it's been quite difficult, but great at the same time. And obviously I'm completely grateful and it shows how amazing our bodies are and how we can heal from, from all of these treatments mm-hmm. so yeah I mean I think it's a it's a really big sign in what of what's possible yeah. um I think you know it's such an inspiring story mm. and a story that 
should give a lot of people hope. Um, Not even necessarily because people, if people want to get pregnant after, but just, just the actual, um, just that knowledge of like anything is possible. Like even what you're told isn't possible is still possible. You know, like completely. Well, I think, um, I mean, when you're diagnosed, you you get given facts or what they think facts, and they can't give you hope. Or they, I mean, maybe some oncologists do now. I don't know, but you have to look for that yourself. And I remember just like like I was saying, when when you're diagnosed, you look for those stories. You really, really look for the people that have beaten the odds and and the people that have got these amazing stories. And I think that is one of the things when you you know we were talking about potentially doing this podcast episode I was like that is one of the main reasons that I want to share my story is because it just will give some hope because I we are all individuals and we're not all gonna like react the same way to treatment and I'm not saying that if you do what I did then you're gonna end up here Mm -hmm. but I do think that yeah it's really important to have these stories out there um because I I still can't find anyone else with this story so yeah (laughs) um yeah yeah no I yeah I I yeah I mean, it was, I think I was going to ask you to be on this podcast anyway. And then I think it was like the day before I was going to message you and you messaged me to tell me you were pregnant. I was like, right, that's it. You have this, your story just gets like wilder and wilder. Like we have to talk about it, but I think it is, it is such a story of hope. And I think that's important for anyone going through anything where they're being told that something isn't going to be possible for them. Um, you know and like I say whatever that is whatever that thing is that they want to be able to do and they're being told that that will probably never happen for them there are stories like yours out there to say like Mm -hmm. don't give up don't write it off completely like things can happen yeah yeah exactly and things are possible yeah and I think like you say it's the importance of owning our own story and not just trusting the facts that we're given because the facts that we're given are facts. Like, you know, they are what the doctors tell us yeah, you know, or whoever it is. It's like, it's the information that they have available to them. Um, and they don't know you as a person. Exactly. No one knows how you're going to yeah. react. And like, I never, I never looked at statistics actually. I never really wanted mm-hmm. to um, never focused on them at all. Um, and in fact, every letter I got sent because every three weeks after clinic you're sent a letter just to review and every time it said like something I didn't like on it I just rip it up put it in the bin yeah I was like no not refusing to believe these things um and it wasn't denial it was just I that would wasn't for me I didn't need those words yeah. I just didn't need it um I needed hope definitely over fear and sometimes you've just got to look for that yourself I think yeah I think that um I always like to call it radical acceptance because it's yeah. almost like we completely accept what is being said and you accept the statistics and you accept the the facts that are coming at you from people and you're like okay I'll take that yeah and now I'm gonna go and do this and now I'm gonna go and find my own stories that can that can balance that out um yeah crazy crazy um so how how has that been over the last nine months to navigate there's no rule book is there there's no I mean no one tells you that it's possible so yeah um 
it's weird because obviously I've been off treatment for quite a while and you try to like live a what you know you call a normal life cancer never leaves you it might leave other people around you they they're able to forget that you potentially had it because you're not talking about it so much but mm-hmm. never leaves you and you're you, ha- you no matter I don't know how many years out from having you know scan I will always have anxiety I will always have that yeah. like every time a scan comes around the anxiety will come and I'll have to do a lot more kind of of the things that I do to help um but yeah I just it it's weird because I guess I don't really know but I guess being pregnant is an anxious time anyway for some people um so that with the background of of cancer is kind of double and then in a pandemic as well it's just really yeah. great timing yeah. I, that's what um, I was saying to you before this episode like you have you've you've thrown yourself in at the deep end yeah. this year sure. <laughs> yeah and then new house, house new baby <laughs> pandemic yeah. yeah but um but no I mean my care has been amazing I, yeah. I was put in the high risk category for no reason other than my surgery that I had um and my cancer passed so I was I've been monitored so well I, like I said, they wanted to make sure that I was monitored. So I had an MRI, um, which has given a bit of peace of mind. It's not the same as having my full CT scan. It doesn't show everything the same, but it, it, it gave me, yeah, that little bit of peace of mind that I needed. Um, and yeah, I think I, it's not been, I mean, it's not been too bad. I've, I've been, I've been fine. <laughs> Just yeah. have that. The, the one thing that I've had to deal with, which has been really hard is, um, so after bowel surgery, a lot of people talk about having adhesion pain. So where your surgery site is, it's often causes scar oh, tissue, right, yeah. which I lived with. And it's, you know, before I was pregnant, I'd probably like once or twice a month have this pain and I just take strong painkillers or, you know, just deal with it basically. But when you're pregnant and the pressure on it is stronger, I, I mean, it's, it's been really painful. So that's mm. probably been one of the, one of the things I've had to deal with, but it's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's, just, it's, yeah. it's fine considering <laughs> considering yeah. the blessing that you that you have. So, um, mm. so when this podcast goes out, you will you will be with baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh God, crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I will. You all prepared and ready? Yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> prepared as we'll ever be. Yeah. I mean, we've, we've bought the stuff we've read the books I think it's about learning on the job isn't it like yeah. with most things I think so, yeah. yeah I was just going to say that I think that's the that's the golden rule that we're learning right it is it's, yeah it's learning on the job being just you know yeah. I mean I the deep yeah. end that you're in yeah I still very much live I mean I live very much day to day I always mm-hmm. I live in the present I, I find that yeah that works for me. I, it's not that I'm scared of the future. It's just that that's just works for me. So I don't really worry about, you know, if it's going to be hard, mm-hmm. I'll deal with it then. Um, yeah. yeah. I'm just excited. So yeah. yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I but my, my like whole, like whole, my whole hospital team are like, when you have your next appointment, you have to bring the baby. Like they're all really excited about it. Cause I think this has oh. never happened before. So. Yeah. I know they're like, you're, you're like some kind of like enigma yeah <laughs> like yeah the, the um St Bartholomew hospital baby <laughs> yeah yeah these are the stories that people will never hear from the hospital and I think it's no. stories like yours that you know should be talked about in those kind of scenarios right 
Yeah. Yeah, I know, I always think that, you know, when, when you're oncologist, when you're one of the patients or what they call long-term survivors, mm. I don't know if I'm in that bracket yet, but, you know, yeah. potentially they have them, but they don't talk about them. And I always think, why do you not learn from those people? You know, what is it that they have done um, or what treatments have they had or what's their lifestyle or, you know, maybe mm. get something from that and then share it. Yeah. Um, that would be really useful. But yeah I mean that's kind of where that I mean I'm sure you've read radical remission right yeah yeah and that's where that yeah. where she got the idea for that book from yeah it was like finding okay. these extraordinary cases and these kind of like yeah. quote-unquote miracle um yeah. you know spontaneous yeah. remission survivors that yeah. no one was talking about and she was like well why aren't we learning from what these people have done because there's obviously something in this yeah um definitely yeah I I think um it's weird because you hear these stories and you still find them quite unbelievable even you know now three four years in I I still get so surprised by the stories of radical remission and then I look at my own story and I almost don't think I don't think that it's me I just think you are one of those people Sarah (laughs) that is you yeah yeah Yeah. it's it's quite unbelievable but that's because you don't hear about it enough they're not out there enough so I think it is important to share it and I think um, that's, you know, it's almost like even you being one of those people, like almost you see mm. yourself as a radical remission mm. um, case rather than just like someone who was, um, rather than someone who has healed cancer, you know? Yeah. It's like, I think even even the people now that are having these cases and having mm. these amazing results still just go, Oh, well, it's just good luck. Like it's just, yeah. and actually a lot of the time it's, it's not, it's a combination of things. And that's not to say that, you know, like we said before, it's not to say that everyone should be doing what you did and that is going to no. help everyone, but yeah. it's, it's finding the combination of things that works perfectly for you that helps yeah. your body start to heal. Yeah. Um, and unless we start talking about these stories and sharing these stories, then no one's ever going to know what their options are. And I think yeah. that's the thing, isn't it? It's kind of like it's having all of those different options to then try and build. Yeah. Into- and also knowing that there's point in doing that, because if you're told, you know, if you're told chemo will just give you more time and you're also told how toxic chemo is, yeah. you might decide not to bother with it. And then you don't know potentially you know what could happen I think it's quite dangerous not having all the stories available to you because you know it's up to the person what they choose to do if they choose to take chemo or not or whatever treatments are available Um, but there should also be someone advising you on the other side the kind of complementary holistic integrative therapies that should come with a diagnosis you shouldn't just I believe you shouldn't just be given the, the kind of medicine route you should be given both at the same time um that would be yeah the ideal future yeah because I think actually having the two work together like having those two teams actually work together yeah. um stops it from being an all or nothing yeah choice. you know it stops yeah. it from being either western medicine or yeah. alternative which is kind yeah. of how they I mean, I don't like to use the word alternative because I think no. they're more complementary. 
But yeah. I think that's the that's the kind of bracket that a lot of these therapies are thrown into mm. by Western medicine is like they're alternative therapies. And actually then they're, they're not, not alternative. <laughs> they they work together. And like I think you said before, it's like using those holistic therapies to enhance the treatment that you're having, you know, like there are so and many support things. support you through them. Yeah. Because I mean, these, these therapies are older than the medicines that we're taking, that we're yeah. given. These are hundreds of years old and yeah. have been used by by millions of people for years, and there are a reason that they're still around. Um, it's not okay to just dismiss them. Um, I think that the, yeah, when they are put into that bracket of alternative, people think, well, they're telling me this is going to cure cancer. No one's yeah, saying that. Exactly. No one actually, unless they're you know, no one's saying that. Yeah. They're just supporting you, um, and I think that yeah, that's really important. Where are you at now in terms of your, how you look after yourself kind of spiritually, Mm. physically, emotionally, like what is, what's the future, what does the future look like for you in terms of that, that path? Because I know a lot of people will go into kind of holistic therapies when they're in, when they're in that state of crisis and then, and then leave it behind. behind. Um, Yeah. So what are the things that you that you kind of like are carrying you through? Obviously, reflexology is something that is. Yeah, I think I think um, it's the kind of daily things, isn't it? That become part of your life and their lifestyle now, which is for me, yoga and meditation are really, really key for, you know, my body and my mind, Mm -hmm. looking after both aspects. Um, My diets are being in control of of what I'm consuming and looking after my gut health is mm-hmm. so important still a long way away from from that I still got a lot to do because I still suffer with lots of problems with my bowel um so that's a continuous journey um but yeah just I think continuing to do all the things that have supported me so far I'm, I, it's, it's a lifestyle for me it's not just um something that I pick up and put down um yeah like I'm said I'm studying herbal medicine just because I've always been so interested in it and all the different herbs and supplements I've taken over the years before you take anything you research it so now I want to go a bit deeper into that find out how it can support me better and then potentially support others that because when when you're a reflexologist it's not just um I mean maybe people think it's like a massage it's not you don't just go for one treatment and it's that's it it's generally about you look at the person and their lifestyle and you work with them over a long period of time mm-hmm. and you advise them on other aspects. So learning about, you know, breath work and Reiki and herbal medicine and all kinds of aspects of, of life is really important with that. And I, I try and integrate it into my treatments for people. Um, so yeah, just continuing where I started. And I'm sure there will be more things that you'll pick up on the way. <laughs> oh, they're already, they're already plans. <laughs> Can't well, stop. Like it's a never, never ending, never ending education, right? I know. And I need to do a human design reading with you because yes. um, I am also a manifesting generator. Are you? So hence yes. why I try okay. all these different things. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. I thought that right at the beginning, <laughs> when you, um, yeah. right at the beginning when we were talking and you were like, you know, I'm doing all of these courses and I was like, Oh, that sounds like me. I think yeah. you might be, I think you might be a fellow MG. Yes, so, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely need to do that. <laughs> um, so I have a few questions. Um, mm-hmm. I ask everybody um 
before the end of the episode unless there's anything else that you want to share there's so much we could talk about for hours for me it's it's how important maintaining and, and having hope is because when that kind of gets taken away from you um you can choose well you can choose to go down that path which is probably quite dark and you know self well, it's just quite destroying isn't it mm. um or you can you can look for hope and um I just I just think it's so important um yeah like living with uncertainty is is difficult like it doesn't it's not easy not have no one knows what the future holds but if you've got hopes and dreams then it uh, makes it all a little bit easier yeah. so I just think find those stories of hope yeah and I guess have hope in your own um like your own outlook for the future right as well mm-hmm. like I think yeah. that's super important um, yeah definitely to make plans and you know <laughs> to plan to buy a house and to yeah. you know I mean if, if you'd have told me three and a half years ago that we'd be doing any of the things we're doing now at that yeah. point I've said no you know I just thought that life was just slowly going to decline and I wouldn't be able to do anything in my yeah. future but obviously over time I realized that that's silly and you know people are proving you can live with cancer for decades so um it's really important to keep sight of that yeah so where where would you recommend people kind of look for hope is it in other people's stories or are there other kind of resources that have helped you keep that um I mean there's there's so many amazing books aren't there out there but for me it's always other people's stories because they bring it to life I think I found most of most of the people that inspire me I've either found through Hello Love being connected via Jane or um, Instagram. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have three questions to ask you before we go. Little okay. quick fiery kind of questions. Um, so the first one is, what makes you feel whole? <laughs> oh, God, I feel under pressure to give you a good answer um I think it's I think it's about self-acceptance probably um not striving for for perfection and just just uh yeah just just being happy with with who you are and not worrying about what anyone else thinks I think I spent far too long worrying about what others think about me and that's not important um yeah so just self-acceptance if that makes sense yeah totally um and what are the daily wellness practices that have been a big part of your journey or resources um any resources that you use that are that have been kind of key to you so many but I really think the one or two things that I do consistently which have obviously an amazing impact on me it's just yoga and meditation I really think they are like key parts of everything else they just I mean every day they help you to start the day feeling much more grounded and um yeah just more positive and help you get either out of your head you know back into your body um so yeah probably yoga meditation is there a particular um resource that you use for meditation or do you do your own guided I use so many different ones actually when I always do the um Deepak chopper so good so good yeah just love him um always do those but I have like various apps do my own 
learned a few over the years, but um, I do like guided meditations mm. personally. It so. kind of depends what mood you're in as well. It's kind of what I'm yeah. like. Sometimes yeah, I'm it's like, never, it's never a long, like for me, I never really meditate for a really long time. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, 20 minutes maybe. Yeah. It's not, um, yeah. not a long time. It does. I don't think it has to be. I think there's that pressure, isn't there, that you think that I have to do all these things and it's going to take up three hours of my day, but I literally do you know, 15, 20 minutes of meditation and then 15, 20, half an hour of yoga in the morning. Yeah. That's done then. And I yeah. you know, can carry on. Yeah. I once, um, I had a medita- meditation teacher once that was like, it doesn't actually matter how long you meditate for. Because no. very often it's like the last like 30 seconds of a meditation <laughs> yeah. that is actually the meditation. So he was like, you can sit for an hour and meditate and be mm. completely distracted by everything that's going on yeah. around you and it will be like that last 30 seconds where you just drop for that time yeah. and he's like that's the meditation like that's the real kind of like that's the real kind of depth to the meditation yeah, yeah, yeah. um so he was like you can you know you can do three minutes a day and you'll still yeah, get completely. that little that little depth within it yeah um, definitely and I often find just even you know 10 minutes before bed it's yeah. amazing it's all, all you need yeah yeah I think there's meditation is is one of those things I think that people kind of build up to be something that it doesn't need to be put a lot of pressure on themselves yeah and put the pressure that they yeah that they should clear their mind and they should be yeah. sitting there and it should oh, be having gosh. this amazing experience and yeah. it's not about that at all actually like the amount of time I spend totally distracted trying to bring myself back like yeah. it's pretty much the whole session you're just trying yeah. to bring yourself back yeah. um but but that's, you know, teaching you something. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Cause you know, I think as well, it's in that bringing in those moments where you're bringing yourself back, it's because you've Mm. been distracted by something for a reason. Like it's kind of, there's something that's come up in your head that needs to be shifted. So actually those things when, like, I think, you know, when, when, when we meditate, we have to embrace those distractions and those moments where we lose focus, because actually that's, Like you say, that's a teachable moment. Like that's yeah. something that's coming up for you from your subconscious. Yeah, you have to that acknowledge. To yeah, yeah, you have to acknowledge those things. Yeah, you can't just yeah ignore them. But yes, yeah, so I think that's. I mean, I definitely resisted meditation for a long time. Even at the beginning of my diagnosis, I was like, I can't just, I can't sit here and be with my thoughts. It mm. was, I just couldn't do that. But now it's definitely really important to me now. And yoga, just you know, getting your body moving. Is yeah. Awesome. And, yeah um, and I, and that's another thing as well I, these are supposed to be quick fire questions and I'm like I'm, rambling on. I'm just like I'm just dragging this out into an even bigger, bigger part for you to do um did your yoga practice change after you were diagnosed as well yeah completely mm. I used to go to yoga when I was you know living my old life yeah. um used to go to yoga class and it'll be like an hour of like intense yoga and then I'd walk out and probably go to the pub yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, or it would be a Saturday yeah. morning when I was hungover and I go to yoga and it made me feel better about myself yeah it's not about that at all anymore yeah. it is completely just part of my life yeah um yeah completely different yeah the movement just changes doesn't it when you kind of mm. when you when yeah. you're you know you're practicing it for more um holistic reasons I guess um yeah I always say like yoga used to be like an antidote to my lifestyle rather than prevention to lifestyle like it used to be like I've had a hard day at work I'll go and do yoga class for 30 minutes and that'll sort me out and it's like probably should have done the yoga class before the day so that it was less stressful Um, (laughs) yeah 
yeah or dress so, the stress and realize that you shouldn't oh, yeah, be that stress. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's weird how now um you know I practice yoga and like I can't do half of the things that I used to be able to do like like I mean I don't think I, yeah. I don't even I don't even know the last time I tried to do like a headstand or no. and it actually doesn't <laughs> I'm bother not even me. Gonna whereas, attempt that. <laughs> yeah, whereas that used to be like a real focus for my for yoga. It was like, right, what goal am I gonna reach today? Right. I'm gonna yeah. do a headstand today and then next week yeah. I'm gonna do a handstand. Like and now it's like, do you know what? I'm just gonna I'm just gonna, no. you know, lie in Shavasana for 30 <laughs> minutes and that's fine. Yeah. That's, yeah. And some days that's all you can do. Yeah. Like, who am I kidding? I'm not a gymnast. I'm not going to be <laughs> Yeah. Let's be yeah. <laughs> um, okay. And then the last question is, what is one thing you wish you'd known <clears throat> or could tell your old self now? So many things. Um, probably that the most important relationship that you're ever going to have is with yourself. Mm. So have a bit more self-respect and care less about what other people think and just be yourself because yeah I just think so much time is wasted worrying about what other people think Mm. um especially when you're younger Um, and it really doesn't matter you've just got to be happy with yourself yeah that's probably yeah probably I love that I think that's so important so important and so many of us just don't we don't love ourselves enough yeah don't waste time on people that are not worth it you know yeah (laughs) I know or things that aren't worth it either things yeah Yeah. just don't waste time in lives that don't feel right and yeah yeah Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I'm just dropping in at the end and just say that Sarah, since this episode was recorded, has given birth to a beautiful baby boy um, and all are doing really well. So um, sending a big congratulations out to Sarah and all my best wishes. And I hope everybody enjoyed that episode. So like I said at the beginning, do all the things, like, review, send me a DM and I will see you next week. Bye.